and uh, um, appreciate you adjusting with us as we adjust to the changing circumstances in our community uh, with the, the COVID. And I looked on a map, and it seems like uh, the I-90 corridor between Buffalo and Albany is like the only place in the whole country that's red. Uh, so hopefully it just passes on wherever, I don't know, off into the ocean. That would be the best place, all right? Just out there in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere. Um, but uh, we'll uh, keep you informed as to what we're doing and uh, how we, we continue to structure our, our worship services as we move, move forward. Uh, just a couple of things I do want to let you know about. Uh, the first one is that we have a community garden down here you're uh, familiar with. We've had it there for quite a few years now. And it is time for us to start thinking about planting. So if you would like a garden bed, then uh, you can see Mark Whitmire to sign up for that. And we will allocate you one all to yourself. And if you're not sure what sort of things to plant, talk to Bessie. And uh, she, she's had plenty of experience, and uh, she will set you in a good direction um, as to, to what can be grown uh, in our garden. So looking forward to that. We've started advertising it on uh, Facebook and different places, and uh, we've had a few responses to that, and uh, as well as some people from previous years that are very excited to, to be back in our community garden. Uh, the other thing I just want to let you know about is uh, the last few weeks we've uh, continued to have a recorded song after communion as part of our worship service, and we're going to keep doing that. Uh, so it's a good way to learn some new songs. It's also, I think, some people appreciated the opportunity to listen to the words of, of songs. Um, and so it's an opportunity to do that. And lastly, you are welcome to sing along with them. And uh, that's part of that learning and uh, sing along as, as you would like. So uh, that, that is in our part of our worship service. It's a little, not something we did previously, but we're, we're going to keep doing it for at least a, um, a little while. Last thing is, I want to let you know that uh, right after Mother's Day, in fact, the very next day, uh, some of you are aware, but uh, I have saved my frequent flyer points and I will be uh, taking the opportunity to uh, go and visit my family for a couple of weeks. Uh, so in uh, May, Sunday, May 15th and May 22nd, I will not be here. Um, Ron is going to fill in uh, preaching on the 15th. On the 22nd, uh, we reached out to Southside, and um, uh, they, they have um, two ministers over there. Uh, they have Brian, who, of course, uh, Buttram, who's been there for a long time. They also have uh, Randall, who um, has been uh, working with their teens on a part-time basis for the last uh, two or three years. And I believe he's going to be coming on full-time for them uh, this, this year. Um, and so it's actually Randall who is going to come over on the 22nd and uh, share a message um, with us. And... Um, It'll be a good opportunity for us to get to know him and for him to get to know, uh, get to know us. I haven't even had the, the opportunity to meet him yet, but uh, on Brian's recommendation, so if anything doesn't work out, it's Brian's fault. Uh, on Brian's recommendation, I'm sure he'll, he'll do a fine, fine job for us. Uh, if you do happen to be online those weeks, you will see me. I will pre-record some sermons 
just to make it simpler with getting the worship videos all taken care of. And, um, and so don't panic. I, I'm on holiday. I'm on vacation. I won't be you know, doing recording videos in Australia. So. All right. One of my favorite images from creation, the creation account in Genesis, is found in Genesis chapter 2. I don't have any slides this morning, and so I do have more scripture verses than usual, so uh, you may get to practice turning pages and clicking buttons to uh, jump around the, the Bible. But in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 2, we have an account there of the creation. There, there are two creation accounts, one in Genesis chapter 1, where in Genesis 1, God just speaks and everything happens. In Genesis chapter 2, God comes down to earth and uses his hands and his mouth and creates in a more intimate way. And so they both convey different attributes of God. And I want to read starting in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 2. Well, I'll start in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord uh, God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I want us to pay attention to the sequence of events here. First, the world has been made. The ground has been separated from the sea, uh, but it's, it's not completely inhabited. It's still work in progress. There's no one there to care for it. And then God makes man. I, I think some translations may say God makes Adam. Uh, but the, the Hebrew word for man is Adam. And so you can take your choice whether it's a man or whether it's a particular person. Uh, and so God makes a man. And the, the man is just out there on the earth, right? On this uh, not quite completed um, ground, countryside. But then we're told that God has created... A garden. And the garden is in the east of wherever the man was, but he takes the man to the garden and places him in it. He gives the man some chores to do, taking care of the garden. I'm not sure what that involved. Maybe a little lawn mowing, a little weed whacking, pruning the fruit trees. I'm not sure what maintenance was needed in the garden. But he had that responsibility. He also was given the job of naming all the different animals. 
But then God puts Adam to sleep. And he creates a woman using, starting with the rib from from Adam's side. Verse uh, 22, uh, it says there, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And it's this imagery that I love. I think as you read through the Bible, it is very often understated. It it doesn't get flowery in descriptions of things. Uh, So I've I've been reading a series of of novels lately, and I realized after a while, I, I don't know, I'm about 10 books into this series, and I realized that it seemed like the vast majority of the book is describing things. It's describing the city and the sounds and the cars and the color of the asphalt and the color, you know, the heat of the asphalt and, and describing how things work. And there's all this describing. And, it, and, and I'm always fascinated by the words they use to describe someone's face. Because they're words that are only used in books. You know, they have deep-set eyes. They have beady... Have you ever said somebody has beady eyes? Right? But you'll find it in books all the time. All sorts of criminals have beady eyes when you're in books. Um, or old men that are villains have crooked noses. You know, and, and, and you notice all these things they ha- that, that we use in writing to describe. And, and, and we, we don't even use them in speaking. But when we read the Bible, we're not given a lot of that information. We're just told that God made a woman. Not told the color of her hair, not told her height, not told you know, the color of her eyes, anything about her. Just that God makes her and brings her to Adam. So we'll come back to, to that verse in just a moment. But we saw last week how God first creates an environment in the creative process. And then he fills that environment. So there is this sort of planning, this forethought that goes into it. Uh, God creates light and darkness on the first day. He creates air and water, air and ocean on the second day. He creates dry land and plants on the third day. All right, then corresponding to that, on day four, he puts the sun, moon, and stars and planets into that light and darkness of day one. He then, on day five, takes, he creates um, birds and fish to fill the air and the water that he separated in, in day two. And on day six, he creates the land animals and humans to uh, fill the land that he created on day uh, three. So there's this symmetry between these two halves of the creation week. And so what we, what we picture is that God is creating space and, and getting things ready, getting things right. And then when it's right, he places his creative beings into that environment. We see the same thing, though, here in chapter 2 with 
Eden. God creates a garden in the east. And when the garden is ready, he grabs the man and somehow leads him, guides him, carries him, and places him in the garden. After the man has explored it for a while, he's named the animals, familiar with them, God then, when it's ready, when it's appropriate, when he is ready, when the man is ready, now God brings the woman into the picture. But he doesn't just let the two of them wander around the garden and uh, see each other from a distance and not know what's going on and, you know, have to sort it out themselves. He doesn't just sort of let one jump out on the other. Surprise! You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and so Adam died of a heart attack when Eve jumped on there. <laughs> that didn't last long. Um, and he, he instead creates, puts Adam to sleep, creates the woman, takes her to a separate place. But then when Adam wakes up, brings them together. God is here portrayed as the romantic, as the matchmaker. He sets the mood. He chooses the part of the garden that is most appropriate. He lights the candles. He turns the music down low. Chooses the time of day. And he brings Eve to meet Adam. I'm not so much concerned today with the details of how this went down, although it would be interesting. But I am interested in what I believe is the purpose of the creation accounts is how God is portrayed. And here he is portrayed as someone who is thoughtful, someone who is caring, someone who is generous, someone who values love. God makes a special garden for humanity creates a special woman for Adam, and he gently introduces them to each other. Takes the awkwardness, or maybe not completely, but some of the awkwardness out of that situation. So in the sermon series we started last week, we're looking at these threads that run through scriptures, that begin in the Garden of Eden, that run throughout the Bible, that inevitably come to Jesus and then carry on through to us and beyond into eternity. And so these threads bind Scripture together as God is at work in the past, in the present, and we believe into the future. But the threads don't just run in a straight line from one place to another. They actually run I believe, in something like a circle. And so it's called return to Eden because where the thread ends is very much back where we began. In relationship with God, in a garden, with no barrier of sin. And so we're going to see how the way that we live for God reflects what God has always intended for humanity as described in Genesis. Today, as has been mentioned, is our Compassion Sunday. 100% of our giving this week goes outside the congregation. None of it goes um, to budget, to, to meet the electric bills or cleaning or lawn mowing. 
whatever it might be, Bible school curriculum, none of it is, is going to our needs here. It all goes outside the congregation. So why do we do this? Why do we give money away to other people? Is it because we have an obligation? Is it because we, we hope that people will think better of us? I want to suggest that the reason we have a Compassion Sunday, whether we realize it or not, is grounded in Eden. We see this thoughtful trait, or thoughtful or considerate trait of God from the very beginning. He says, what will the birds need? Well, they're going to need air and water. I'm going to make it for them. What will the animals need? They're going to need dry ground and water. I'll make it for them. How do I show love for humanity? I'll make them a garden. Man needs a partner. I'll create a woman. And so God is recognizing in advance what are the needs of his created beings. And then he says, I'm going to make sure that I meet those needs, that they are taken care of. God is constantly thinking ahead for the benefit of his created beings. And we could choose a long list of words to describe this attitude, this behavior on God's part. We could, we could say it's kindness, it's thoughtfulness, it's love, it's compassion, it's unselfishness perhaps others. But then, as we know too well, sin enters the picture. And we find that humanity rejects God's example, whereas God is creating in a way to show love, to expand love, and, and to meet the needs of other people, to take care of them. What we find in, in Genesis chapter 3 is that his created humans, Adam and Eve, become obsessed with their own well-being. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 tells us that they ate of the forbidden fruit because it was good for food, it looked good, and it would give them wisdom. Another way of saying that is they looked at it and they said, it will satisfy us. It's good for food. They, they will say, it, it pleases us, it, it looks good, and it will benefit us, it will give us wisdom, we'll be better for it. So they are saying, this fruit can change our lives, this will make a big difference to me. And, and they are in that moment totally focused on what the fruit is going to do for them. They've lost sight of a bigger picture. They've lost sight of other people, um, lost sight of God and His will for them. They've lost sight of God's provision and God's care for them, that the God's impulse to care for them. All that mattered is what the fruit would do for them. Now, I think it's easy to look at them and say, tsk, tsk, so self-absorbed. Has anyone complained when you've pumped gas and the price has gone up and it's so high? You say, oh, this is terrible. Right? And yet we know, directly or indirectly, the reason that we're paying so much more for the gas is because there's people losing their lives 
in another country. Right? As the conflict in Ukraine continues on. And, and yet, isn't it so easy to be self-absorbed in the pain that we're feeling? Or, or, or that my life would be better, or things would be easier, or I'd be happier, or I'd have more money if the price of gas was low. I don't really care what happens over there. It'll happen with or without me. But if the price of gas was lower, I'd be happy. So it, it is, you know, I'm just saying that to say, please don't be too critical of Adam and Eve, because we follow right along in their footsteps more often than we perhaps want to admit. But then what we see is that God continues to demonstrate his grace, his mercy, and his gift-giving nature. Now, certainly in the second half here of Genesis 3, God goes through and he, he details the consequences of their rebellion. Right? It's not as though he's just saying, oh, yeah, you're going to get off scot-free. Okay, oh, well, I told you not to do that. Wow, one strike, you got two more. You know, like, he's like, no, you shouldn't have done that. There's going to be consequences. But even after those consequences, God, in verse 21, he makes garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothes them. He gives them these garments of skin that he has made. Uh, Because Adam and Eve have now awakened to their nakedness. They're experiencing shame. And so God covers them. But there, even in this moment of shame, God is giving to them. And from that point on, we're going to to run through uh, very quickly (laughs) the, the Old Testament story. But God works through history to bring humanity back into harmony, back into relationship with him. He gives Abraham children, and he gives them the promise that they'll become a great nation. He he also, in Genesis chapter 17, he promises that he will give those descendants the land of Canaan. He gives Israel, after they come out of, after he gives them the freedom from Egypt, he then gives them the covenant and law as a way of knowing him and a way of um, living in a way that honors him. He gives the nation leaders, judges. Eventually, he gives them kings. He gives them prophets that point them back to him. And he gives them, for much of their history, peace, protection, and prosperity. But what we see is that the nation of Israel, like Adam and Eve, rebels against that. And they say, no, we're going to choose our own path. You can't tell us what to do. Right? We don't want your $50. Right? You take that. We've got $1 here. Look, I'm going to chase it over there. It's mine. I'm going to get it. And, and they pursue these idols. And they pursue worshipping and living in a way that is outside God's design. And, and so they face the consequences of that rebellion. They're taken into captivity, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But God brings back the southern kingdom. He gives them Jerusalem again. And so throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, God is continually giving grace and mercy 
to his people. As I said, it doesn't mean that they're without consequence when they rebel. But it reveals to us this character trait. Okay? What is a character trait? It's something that we do over and over again. When we habitually respond in a particular way to circumstances, then it's, we can say that is our character. Somebody is patient because we see them in difficult circumstances and they never lose their cool. Somebody is hot-headed because we see them lose their cool in those difficult circumstances. It may not be one time, but, but one time doesn't do it. But when we see it over again, we say that's their character. And so God's character is that of a gift giver. And as we follow this thread through Israel's history, I mentioned inevitably it leads... To Jesus. And when we enter the Gospels, we find something even more incredible. Because God is not just generous, who gives gifts to people, although certainly He is that, but He is not just that. When we come to the Gospels, we see that God's love for His creation, God's love for humanity, makes Him a self giving God for our benefit, right? He's not just giving, he is self-giving. The well-known verse in John chapter 3 is verse 16, right? Because we see there that God gives his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So there are two things here that God gives. The first is that he gives himself, right? Because the Son is part of God. Right? The Son is God. So he gives himself. For what purpose? So that he can give eternal life to those who believe in him. And, and so in a nutshell, the whole story of Jesus, the whole story of everything, is that God gives himself for us. Now, the father isn't cruelly giving the son away, right? You could read it that way. The, the son, oh, what sort of father would give his son away? But in verse 35 of that same chapter, we come down there and it says, The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Okay. So the giving of the son away or to us, giving of himself away, is not the entire story. Because he loves the Son, he also gives the Son everything, places everything in his hands. The Son will rule, will sit on the throne. He will be over everything. But that's again a giving act, isn't it? Because he loves the Son, he gives him everything into his hands. Just a little further, we come down to uh, chapter 4 and verse 10. And uh, there Jesus tells this Samaritan soon-to-be evangelist, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus doesn't quite spell out exactly what the gift is, but I think the gift, at least in part, is Jesus himself. Right? Just as John 3 has said that God gave his son. 
but, but it's also the living water that he offers to the woman. It's salvation, it's eternal life. This gift of God that is described here is kind of all of those things. And he says, the woman, if you knew the gift of God, that's, that's what he wants for her, is to know the gift of God. Paul describes this self-giving God in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, you want to guess? Gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In turn, Jesus gives his disciples the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in turn gives his disciples spiritual gifts. And we see this in the text that was laid out for us today. Uh, read for us earlier, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In particular, Paul reminds Timothy that God has given him the Holy Spirit and then that the Spirit gives power, love, and self-discipline. So in verse 6, it reads like this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So, God gives the Son, the Son gives the Spirit, the Spirit gives gifts. And we we see this pattern um, many times through Scripture. In verses 9 and 10 of this chapter, um, same chapter, we see this really great summary for us today. We're told there, He has saved us and has called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose in grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's a lot there, and I'm not going to spend, you know, go through it word by word, but there's a couple of things to note. First is that what we receive is not a result of what we've done. Okay? Because the whole point with this giving is that it's a gift. Right? It's not giving of our salary or, or our, our payroll or our benefits. It's not what we've earned or what we deserve. It's God just says, I'm going to give. And God is motivated by His love to do that. And, and so we receive that. It says the, the grace was given us before the beginning of time, before Eden. God already knew. He said, I've got this grace. I've got this gift. I want to give this to this creation. They're going to mess up and I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to welcome them back. I'm going to give them an opportunity. I'm going to give my son for them because that will be necessary. And, and then we, we see there, just as it ends, that he has destroyed death and brought life and immortality. So we go back to Eden there, don't we? That what Jesus brought, in this we talked about this last week, is that he defeats death, as there was no death in Eden, that came from the curse, and he gives life and immortality. And we're back kind of where we started. 
So through Jesus, God gives us grace. So why do we have Compassion Sunday? That was where we started, right? Why do we give for the benefit of others, even people we don't know? Why do we practice generosity and maybe forgo something that that we enjoy in the process? We do this because our Father is a loving God. And love leads to generosity. Consider this. Can you be loving and selfish towards the same person at the same time? Love leads to generosity. I'll close by reading 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is how God showed his love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He sent his only son into the world. And then he says, this is love, not that we loved God. Now, I just want to unpack that for just a moment. And you say, well, hang on, I do love God. Why isn't that love? What he is saying is that we didn't love God first. This is love. He didn't wait for us to love him. Rather, he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so our love for God then is a response to what God has already done for us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so God's love, that is His nature, overflows out of heaven into His creation. And He gives generously to those of us who need. At God's, as we then receive His love, because of our relationship with Him, because it's His love that fills us, it overflows into the people around us. And so as we recognize needs, as we try to emulate God, we we adopt that attitude from Eden. We look around and we say, what are the needs? How can I provide? How can I be involved? How can I make things better for people? How can I show love for people? What space can I create to prepare for them? We become thoughtful. We become considerate. We become compassionate. We become generous. Because that is who God is and how God has acted towards us. And so as we leave today, I want you to leave with this picture of who God is in your mind. I think if you read Genesis chapter 1, you walk away with a picture of this powerful God that speaks and universes are made. But there's also a picture, and, and, and I kind of picture... Like God is the ultimate Costco sample person. Right? Because he's always there. And he's always saying, take this. I've got something for you. I want to give it to you. Will you take it? We look at it, go, oh, I don't know if I like that. Right? What's in it? <clears throat> How much is it? But God isn't just saying, here, take the sample. He's saying, take the bag, right? He's just there handing out the bags. There's no checkout. 
But I think there is responsibility for us. Now we've received that gift, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to say, oh, it's mine, the chips are mine? Do we walk out the door of this God Costco and we see somebody that's hungry? Are we willing to say, well, I was just given this bag of chips. So I can see that you need it. So you can sort of apply that imagery there, but, but what does God look like to you? And I want us to leave that God looks many different things and reveals himself in many different ways throughout Scripture. But today and for this week, I'd love for you to think of God as a gift giver who loves to give because he loves to love because he is love.